Oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> you just got back from vacation. Of and course, I, you don't want to uh, do anything. I have sunstroke. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too hot. <laughs> We're not used to this. Yeah, it's what, it's 80 degrees, something like that. Yeah. Clink, clink my ice in my glass. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> we should have a toast to pride. Oh, happy pride weekend. Yay. Very appropriate book for a Pride weekend. Yes. Um, oh, maybe we should do the oh yeah you know, the official right. stuff. And oh, you're on. We're on. It. Yeah, we've been on for like two hours. Oh. <laughs> Good luck I, editing. I started recording at nine this morning. <laughs> For that ambient sound. Yeah. So apologies to our listeners. It's going to be three hours of cats yowling <laughs> and the kids next door. Um, so my name is Christiane. And I'm Greg. And we've had a book club for over a decade. And we read a lot of books. And mostly we just got drunk and gossiped. Yeah. But at the sad loss of David Bowie last year, we decided to get our act together and read through the book of 100 most influential books. Uh, did I say the book of 100 most? You sure did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it out in post. <laughs> the list of 100 most influential <laughs> books uh, made by David Bowie. And we're reading through them in no sensible order. In, in fact, a completely nonsensical order. And as we go, we make wild speculation about what the book meant to Bowie. And what the books mean to us, because yeah. sometimes we don't know. <laughs> but we've been on a really good kick Yeah, lately. yeah, I think this is another good one. Yeah, I've been really pleased with these last two books. Um, so this is uh, City of Night by John Ricci. We're, we're going to go with Ricci and please uh, uh, send us corrections it's if we Ricci got that wrong. or, or if it's, Ricci. Yeah, we, sh- we should have looked it up. And <sighs> You may, having just heard the title, now have the earworm of that Doors song in your head. Sorry sorry about that. (laughs) This is something that you will suffer, (laughs) as I did. (laughs) I went went and purchased a copy of the book from uh, Island Books. um, On uh, on Mercer Island? Yeah, Mercer Island. And uh, my friend out there... uh, sent me an email that said the book had come in and sent a clip of that Doors song. It was like, your book is in, and now I have this song stuck in my head. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. Unfortunately, we can't choose that song as our song for the episode, but it is probably the song that was stuck in my head most yep. during it. Every uh, time you look at the title, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah thanks. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Jimmy. Old Jimmy Morrison. <laughs> so what's, this, what's up with this book? So it is... Um, Novel, but like an autobiographical novel yeah. of um, so it was written in 1963. Uh, John Ricci was a uh, young man from Texas and uh, raised by white dad, Mexican mom, um, who who never learned to speak English yeah. entirely. Yeah, and he doesn't go into the details about what that must have been like. Uh, which I would have been fascinated to hear about. Maybe one of his other books. Yeah, yeah maybe the autobiography, it. I think, that yeah. just came out recently might have it in there. Yeah. Um, but 1963, he... Uh, well, that's when the book was uh, published, but in the time previous. Apparently, I, I read somewhere that he started writing letters to his friends about the experiences that he was having. He leaves home, 
moves to I think first New York. Yep. Um, yeah. And starts hustling. Yep. He gets involved in this subculture of of uh, basically male prostitution mm-hmm. and uh, in a very sort of secretive and very insular gay subculture. Yeah. And it's great because the book is almost like a manual of of coded language and um, sort of a display of how how people would get around because it's you know it's illegal you can't be a gay man and out at this time it's yeah like there there's some episodes in the books of like cops like you know just um you know arresting people for no reason just for Mm -hmm. being in certain parts of a park or just for looking a certain way yep you've been hanging around here too long we're gonna fingerprint you and yeah get a record on you um yeah so so all these these ways of getting around um, the system he sort of lays out in this book, sort of like an ethnographic um, report in a way. And, and one of the um, one of the reviews that that I, that we read about it from the the Times back in 1963 essentially says this is a terrible novel, <laughs> um, but it, it is is a great like sociological sort of tracked it says it, it's, uh what's it this the the novel is sloppy chaotic repetitious humorless and sometimes sleep inducing <laughs> and yet in spite of all this city of night is a remarkable book <laughs> uh, hmm, so it was good <laughs> so you hate liked it <laughs> <laughs> but it, and it, it's fascinating because i think like the, the book you know is critically panned but was hugely popular and it may mm. you know part of it may have been sort of maybe marketed as like, oh, the salacious sort of yeah. ex- expose of the, the, of the violent gay subculture. But for, uh, imagine for, you know, like a teenager, you know, in, in Tennessee or Kansas or wherever who happens upon this book, like getting their introduction to like, oh, wait, okay, th- this is something, yeah. you know, this is something I, I can be a, a part of. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel... <laughs> Okay, so part of why I bet it was disliked was it it's super beat influenced. Like it has that that rambling uh jive talk uh run on sentence kind of thing. Run, run on words yeah. where, like <laughs> just slapping words together yeah. like I <laughs> I can't, I can't say young man anymore. I have to say young man. Young man. Young man. <laughs> Sex money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, creating your own language, written language based on spoken sounds of language. It's very, yeah, like beat literature did a lot of this. And I think he does an almost better job than a lot of beat yeah, books because yeah. it's so focused on one subculture. It's not just a rambling look at America it's this really and, particular focus. And it's interesting that like some of the characters are seem really uh you know their their dialogue seems really true to life and really like it brings you into the characters and then some of the other characters are portrayed so sloppily and so like one dimensionally. Yeah. That it, it, the the book veers around a lot, but mm-hmm. but it keeps throughout it keeps this sort of rising tone of like just amping up the drama. Yeah. And and he does a great job representing people well like you said some people very much as real people like the the drag queens yes who are kind of sprinkled throughout the book really do they emerge as like you know fully 
um, is full characters that you really feel something for. Yeah, and really complicated in some ways. I think of the the drag queen in um, New Orleans who's like a big guy and so can't come across as like dainty and soft in the way that it seemed like a lot of the drag queens in that bar were coming across. And just that struggle of being masculine, feminine, and and the tourists coming and wanting to take pictures and just... And, and really objectifying. Yeah. The, yeah. And so I think that he, Ricci himself, does a good job not objectifying um, his community in this book. Though there are some yeah. characters that are super stereotyped. Like like the, the, the scene in the middle where, I think with the Nazi... Oh, yeah, the masochist was, guy who's just... Uh, yeah, <laughs> literally, literally is is a uh, like a walking cartoon. Like. Yeah, and he, he sort of has this moment of, well, the way I, the reason I am the way I am is because my father rejected me, and I'm like, oh my god, are we really doing this? Come on, man, that's straight out of like the Saturday Evening Post <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Now I must lick people's boots because my father wore these boots, and yeah. <laughs> but but and, and hit. hit the author or the narrator himself kind of comes across as really flat, like almost deliberately flattens himself yeah, in order to fit this sort of masculine. It seems like there's two poles, like there's the hyper feminine drag, drag queens and then there's the hyper masculine hustlers. Right. And then the Johns are sort of in, are kind of right down the middle. Scores. Yeah. Scores. That's what they're scores. called. Yeah. Which I, I found really interesting. The, um, the hustlers when they were talking together, or when he was describing them and how they interact, they have to be straight or perceived as straight. Like they can't be perceived as gay themselves. They have to like buy the scores and fellow hustlers. There's some unwritten rule that you have to be perceived as, as someone who would prefer to have sex with women, but you have sex with men for money. Even though Richie himself is gay, right. and a number of the other men are, but there's these rules that have to be followed that I guess is, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting, I would, I would be really curious of how this was accepted uh, at the time by uh, his own community. Right. Like, Gay well, men and and drag queens and the hustlers alike. And I wonder, like, mm, I, w I imagine, like, uh, it, you, the the other interesting thing is how long he had to keep it under wraps that he wrote this. Mm. You know, because in his in his world, and he talks about this in the book too, is that you couldn't come across as intellectual. Okay. Like he had, you, you basically had to portray yourself as like just a piece of meat, just vapid. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And and there's the one scene where. He corrects somebody about a book, and and they're like, "Oh, oh!" He was confusing T. E. Lawrence for yeah, D. H. Lawrence, yeah. and I corrected him. Oh, ghastly and intellectual! Yeah. You should have kept your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We we were talking about the the sort of the whore with a heart of gold, you know, the pretty woman story, and then this is more of like the whore with a brain, and and having to keep that under wraps. Yeah, yeah. and it. And there's only yeah, there's only a couple of the hustlers that you actually kind of feel who get to come across as sort of larger characters like Chuck. Mm -hmm. 
the cowboy sort of stud who's very, you know, very has the sort of laconic, you know, Western thing yeah. and get some really good lines in though. Like <laughs> that girl, I caught crabs just standing next to her, <laughs> but actually you, you hear his backstory and you kind of like, you know, you sense like the loneliness that's underneath it, I guess, or, or you get a, a more of a sense of him as a person. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I wrote down on our notes, um, there is some traffic in the stereotypes of gay. And then for some reason I wrote down Gilligan's Island. <laughs> I have no idea why he wrote that down. <laughs> is that connected to something? <laughs> I, don't, I can't see how it is. <laughs> so Gilligan's Island. Just, uh, okay, it, just we're just put, putting it out there. If you can figure out why she wrote that down, <laughs> please please let us know. I must be missing some big connection yeah. here. <laughs> mm. um, but I I thought about with the the idea of stereotypes in this book, 1963. Um, how much has changed? One of my colleagues and I were having a conversation. He was reading some books about Berlin gay scene um, in, I think, maybe post-war, but maybe even pre-war. Oh, in, in like the 20s? In, yeah. And the time of like Isherwood and stuff like that? And how much coding and sort of this rich, complicated uh, network of of sort of secret messages that would go through um, behavior or language and that that's unnecessary now for the most part that I mean wonderful to be able to be who you are and not be afraid of being arrested (laughs) but um, that it's it's really interesting to read this kind of complex language and I was thinking about a talk I saw with Dan Savage who was uh, he's a writer for among other things this the local weekly the stranger and who has a massively famous podcast yeah about sexuality and mm-hmm. and I, apparently a very active twitter account that people love oh <laughs> but he was saying uh he was making note of how hookup culture was sort of looked down on in gay um circles well like straight people looking at gay right and that was the stereotype of like that's the only kind of sex that gay people have right and then he pointed out like well now all these straight people have these like tinder apps and they get to do that very thing that you know you don't need the coded language for it you have an app on your phone but how much the things that we viewed as sort of degenerate culture are now just normal and it's so so i guess it's interesting as this little like time capsule but in some ways and he talks about this too and i think a more recent um article in the i believe it's in the independent um where he talks about there's it's still you know there's still prejudice you know despite the sort of yeah with um, where it's still tough to be gay, you know, yeah. uh, even even though there's been this sort of mainstreaming of parts of the culture, like it's still in a lot of places in the country, and, and Seattle might be better than other places where it's still hard to be out. Yeah, I guess we do have this cultural coastal elite. 
and and yeah. and also like I guess what he says is like okay there's there are billboards advertising all male holiday cruises but then there's still a lot of homophobia even in publishing and a lot of self hatred and self destruction among gay men that that's the biggest taboo and and you can kind of see that thread in the book of where you know all the characters have this sort of sort of destructive tendency I guess yeah. Um, because the system still tells you that it's not okay to be you, or it's it's only okay to be you in these certain ways, and maybe the ways have expanded, um, but it's still not you know, you're still not the norm, I guess. Yeah. Or not considered normal. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, even in in the book where the hustlers have to hide their sexuality. Yeah. Um, from themselves too yeah. like i'm just doing this for money it's not something i enjoy in that same article in the independent um richie's talking about that he questioned his own sexuality and says uh, it, it seems strange to think america's foremost chronicler of the queer subculture ever had doubts about his sexuality but quote uh, you have to understand what the world was like back then being queer was very dangerous and there was a lot of stigma about it um, even when I was hustling, it took me a long time to realize myself as a gay man. And he says, um, I was arrested three times in Griffith Park uh, in Los Angeles for prostitution. You could be sentenced to five years for that. People literally just disappeared. Young people now have no idea what it was like. And, and we won't blame him for saying young people nowadays. <laughs> young men. <laughs> young men nowadays. <laughs> Don't know how hard it was to make that sex money. <laughs> And yeah, so it's great. I mean, celebrating pride is a big part of like it. It gets better. I just saw um, Eddie Izzard at um, at the Moore this week. What you got to go that? Oh yeah. Oh God, so jealous. <laughs> and he talks about coming out, and um, and he and he referenced that uh, it was like website. It gets better. dot com or dot org. Can't remember which one it is. Um, and just giving hope to young people. So not only within your own life, it gets better once, you know, you're able to be out and open and accepted by your community. Um, but over time, ideally, we are improving. Um, and and it's, yeah, like you said, it's interesting to see this as a sort of time capsule of, of where things were. And it has had like a, a huge influence on on queer literature and, and, and mainstream stuff too, like uh, My Own Private Idaho. That Which I haven't seen. It, it's, a, it's a great movie. It, it might be a little dated now. Um, it has Keanu Reeves in a serious <laughs> role and narcolepsy. <laughs> hot. <laughs> hot. Hot River Phoenix narcolepsy. But it, has, it, it steals a lot from, especially the professor uh, sort of chapter in this where there's this sort of, um, father, father-ish figure that gets melded with a Falstaff type figure. Hmm. Um, so it's a really interesting mixing of, of this book and like Shakespeare and a bunch of other stuff. So uh, if you haven't seen it, um, actually, I'll, I'll watch it again and then I'll, I'll, then I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> whether I should recommend it. <laughs> yeah. But it's 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 that, that's the first thing I thought of when I got to that part of like, wow, this reminds me a lot of my own private Idaho. Huh. Um, and and yeah, I think it it has had a pretty far reach, um, you know, as 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 like a cultural sort of touchstone. I 
so the book itself is mostly just anecdotes and events. Like, like it's just it's really just, just slapped together. With yeah, <laughs> this happened and this happened and this was an experience and this is someone I met and this is. But at the end, there is this chapter that I feel was a bit too neat. Um, sort of the yeah, totally. Here's the moral of the story chapter, and, and here's a character who's going to provide you with the moral lesson. Yeah, and it becomes just very text heavy, mm-hmm. um, just just a dialogue between these two characters. Almost a Socratic kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So Jeremy, the character, is trying to convince. Um, does Richie ever have a name? I, th- I think he's nameless in the. He's just yeah, the young man or me. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, he's the uber young man. Um, he's trying to convince him, essentially, to to run away with him to to be his partner. Like I'll take care of you. Yeah, yeah. and it's based on a character in real life that uh, John Ricci knew, who did support him writing books and give him support for. Uh, he wanted to give him yeah, send he him to college. Go to school. Yeah, and, yeah. but uh, his. His call to arms for this young hustler is, you know, you you don't love you. Yeah, you're you're running away from it. Mm-hmm. You are refusing to feel you by just being a body. But I and and you kind of have this moment where he wavers on it. Maybe it's true, but it's it doesn't feel like in the story, the the character the main character hustler is he's not unhappy no he's very like he's not like just having sex for money because he needs to survive and he actually seems to enjoy himself i mean like there is this this part of him that that they're like all the other characters there's that thread of self-hatred but there's also this sort of like that there there is an ecstasy in what i'm doing i think and, and there's this really good passage that you picked out yeah we were talking about the he he views like this sexual anarchy as like an exciting thing, not a negative thing. And he, he says, this is in, uh, I don't know, kind of near the beginning of the book. For me there, for me then, there followed a period of untrammeled anarchy as I felt my life stretching towards some kind of symbolic night as the number of people I went with multiplied daily with those many people only in those moments when I was desired the moments before we became strangers again after the intimacy, I felt an electric happiness, as if the relentless flow of life had stopped, poised on the very pinpoint of youth, and for those moments, youth was suspended, unmoving. And so you know that there's that, he does say, like, we become strangers again, so there's the down, it's sort of like the high, like a drug high that he loves, he loves being desired. Then the question comes in, well, what happens when you get old? So... Yeah, it's poised at the end with this conversation with Jeremy of, is this sustainable? Can I manage yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I imagine the, you know, there's more in his later books about that, how that changes, or at least in his autobiography. But he says that like he was hustling up until the point where he's 55 just to see if he could do it. <laughs> just to still be desirable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is a huge, huge high. And it's it's not, you know related to to sexuality at all like it's just i think a human it's what all us artists are always doing right (laughs) yeah Yeah, and and, right just looking in the mirror (laughs) (laughs) oh so why bowie 
obvious reasons yeah, for this yeah. one. Because it was transgressive and Bowie wanted to be transgressive because it was, uh, uh, I bet he loved the coding and subculture mm-hmm. and language of it. Yeah. And, and also like the sexuality, like, you know, fit with where he was. And it was still like in that beat way, beatnik way, that super American novel. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Rishi says this is a novel about America. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and, and much like On the Road, yeah, it kind of covers the whole country. David Bowie's even one of the uh, call-out praise texts in my copy of the book. What um, does he say? So there's like, you know, when all the marketing departments pull out quotes for the praise for the book and there's like the Washington Post and Frank O'Hara and uh, Christopher Isherwood. And then it says, quote, a stunning piece of writing, David Bowie. (laughs) I'm sure he had more to say about it than just that. (laughs) Everyone else has like long paragraphs of like what this book is, why it's valuable. Then it's just a stunning piece of writing, David Bowie. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this one seems again, like a pretty straightforward, uh, Right why up, you'd like it right up Bowie's alley yeah. yeah and I mean it helps that I liked it yeah yeah I mean <laughs> despite like the the sort of it's not great literature but, oh, was, but there is like an like this this insane energy to it fantastic summer read yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just lying on the lawn reading City of Night yeah. oh, god damn it now the song's stuck in my head again <laughs> okay just to get another song oh, yeah. in my head uh, so because of the insane energy mm-hmm. um and the phrase tigers on Vaseline for some reason that got <laughs> st- stuck in my head. Uh, hang on to yourself. Hang on to yourself. Uh, from uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spires from Mars and insanely, you know, amazingly great record. And I think that might be my favorite song on there too. In, in our uh, Nicholas Pegg complete David Bowie book. Do you book. want to do the traditional book <laughs> clunk, <drop? no. laughs> to get the clunk? Um, Mick Ronson says, Quote, strap the guitar on and thrash it to death, basically, is how he describes the nightly challenge of recreating the furious hang-on-to-yourself riff. It's super punk rock, and this book, in a way, is super punk rock, too, where it just kind of thrashes around and, Mm and, you know, and has a really super speeded-up quality, which I thought went with the song. Yeah, it was great to be reading it as I bopped between different cities, because I was kind of tracking him as I went. I was oh, yeah, that's right. on the flight to New York and I'm reading about him moving to Times Square and hustling and then I'm on the flight down to Southern California and I'm reading the chapter about him hustling in Los Angeles. And I was in Polson, Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Much slower pace. Yeah. Probably not a great gay nightlife either. <laughs> but that, that did make me think of like, you know, how tough it still is probably for someone coming out in like a smaller town or, you yeah. know, someplace that doesn't have access to, um, to that kind of culture or that kind of mentorship or not that kind of mentorship, but you know, <laughs> any kind of mentorship. We're not saying that everyone should go out and be a hustler. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of ecstasy, not everyone can chase. It. <laughs> um, yeah. So what are we reading next? Oh yeah. Um, Keeping with a the theme in a bit. Yeah, kind of. Uh, another person who quoted mm-hmm. uh, was a pull quote for this book. Uh, the celebrated poet Frank O'Hara, um, who I'm really excited to read again. The selected poems. Yep, the selected poems. 
um, which I got out of the library when I was like in eighth grade or something because I read about them in the New York Times or something. You were such a precocious little. Twit. I know. I read about <laughs> I read about something in the New York Times like, oh, I got to get this book out of the library, and I get it, <laughs> and the I put like a like a, a a brown paper bag over the cover because it has a naked man on it. I didn't want to like get in trouble with the nuns or Ooh. whatever. <laughs> but I, we got the book again. And I'm gonna like display it proudly. <laughs> But yeah, the selected poems of Frank O'Hara, which which I'm stoked to read again. Yeah, very uh, a, a, a more relaxing take on on life, I think, than than Rishi. Yeah, I haven't read a book of poems in a while. Yeah, I don't know how we're gonna pick a song for that. Tune in a, next time. <laughs> you'll find out. Um, yeah. So, as always, you can get a hold of us by contacting us through BowieBookClub.com or... On Facebook at BowieBookClubPodcast, <laughs> on Twitter at BowieBookPod. Sorry, I, I had to build a robot to say the words because I always get these wrong. <laughs> we always mix them up. And please review and rate us on iTunes. <laughs> Sorry. It's like a speaking spell. I have to fix that. I'll be working on that before next episode. Um, yeah. Uh, have a, a fantastic Pride weekend. Yay. Happy Pride. Woo. Have fun and we'll see you in about a month. Yep. All right. Till then. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to leave the, the mics on for another three hours. <laughs> now the cats are quiet. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, I think I got it all, right? Yeah, they even mentioned Gilligan's Island. Yeah, why was Gilligan's Island? Gilligan's Island. Dude, were you trying to, like... Three-hour tour. Was there a theory... Was it a three-hour cruising tour? <laughs> <laughs> three-hour cruise <laughs> are you trying to promote some sort of relationship between like everyone else the skipper and gilligan the professor oh i think it was because of the character of the professor why didn't i write that down because you were drunk and trusted yourself to remember <laughs> traffic in stereotypes of gay gilligan's island that's it that's what i wrote down I guess that's all you needed to. That's all you needed. <laughs> <laughs>